BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Oh, hello. I'm very sorry. I know you're not here for me, but I just wanted to tell you about my new podcast. It's called Classical Fix, and it's basically me, Clemmie Burton-Hill, each week talking to a massive music fan. I mix them a classical playlist. They have a listen, they come in, and we just see where the conversation goes. If you'd like to give classical music a go, but you haven't got a clue where to start, this is where you start. Just go to BBC Sounds and search for Classical Fix to subscribe. Now then, as you were. In 1940, at the Moscow Conservatory, Dmitry Shostakovich walked on stage with his friends, the Beethoven Quartet, to give the first performance of a brand new piece of chamber music, Shostakovich's G minor piano quintet. It was an immediate popular success, awkward for the Communist Party authorities, who'd been highly critical of Shostakovich's music and thought of chamber music particularly as a bourgeois activity. Well, despite this, the quintet won a Stalin Prize, and ever since it's been one of Shostakovich's most popular pieces. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of Record Review on BBC Radio 3, and in this podcast edition of Building a Library, Ivan Hewitt explores recordings of the Shostakovich piano quintet. Always fascinating when you compare the composer's own recording with the Beethoven quartet that was made just a few days after that first performance, with more modern accounts like this one. Yefim Bronfman and the Juilliard Quartet. I've given you a taste of the third movement, the scherzo, first, just to remind you that this composer, who's become a byword for bleak tragedy, grim-faced parody and many-layered irony, is really very good at high spirits. He's up there with Rossini and Offenbach. But with Shostakovich, one can never be sure that the laugh isn't actually a rictus of distress or a bit of clowning put on to throw officialdom off the scent. He was, after all, a man who lived most of his life under the shadow of Stalinism and famously had a suitcase packed ready at the door in case the secret police came for him in the dead of night. He learned early to dissemble. However, in this piece the high spirits seem genuine, or at least partly so, and the piece as a whole affirmative in a way that is relatively easy to grasp. No wonder it went down well with the public, eager for some respite after the grim years of famine and then the Great Terror. By 1940, when it was composed, the threat from Hitler seemed to be lifted too, now that the non-aggression pact had been signed, and there was even some decent caviar in the shops, according to diarists of the time. But as always in Shostakovich, the high spirits are offset, not by tragedy exactly, but a stoic seriousness, for which the model was undoubtedly Bach. In the opening prelude, you can hear his influence loud and clear. Thank you. 
That mighty impressive opening is from the recording by Vladimir Ashkenazi and the Fitzwilliam Quartet. It's one of nine recordings I've picked out from around 20 or so that are currently available because they have something distinctive to say about the piece. The granitic approach of Ashkenazi seems to rule any gentler feeling totally out of court, and indeed the recording as a whole is dominated by Ashkenazi's ruthlessly unyielding approach. Perhaps not surprising, as he's a pianist who knows exactly what it was like to be persecuted by Soviet officialdom, and perhaps had no desire to sweeten the pill. At the opposite pole is the recording from Marc-André Amelin and the Tokhach Quartet. Amelin and the quartet have a sense of give and take, almost of breathing in that grand opening, but part of me thought it was too much. There's a stoic grandeur about this piece that is compromised by too much give and take. But it was fine in its way, so I'm keeping it in play. One pianist who I thought got the balance right was Marta Argerich in her live recording from the Lugano Festival with a group of string players including violinist Renaud Capuçon and cellist Misha Maisky. Let's join the prelude in the contrasting central section. Thank you. 
The viola player Lida Chen is pleasingly lyrical, and I like the way Argerish tempers the Baroque dancing bass with a touch of pedal, softening the dry two-part texture with something sweetly nostalgic. Any discussion of recordings of this piece has to reckon with the ones by the composer himself. Shostakovich was a considerable pianist, good enough to enter the Chopin competition in 1927, and he enjoyed performing and touring. In fact, he once quipped that he composed this piece because he was jealous of all the fun times his friends in the Beethoven Quartet were having touring his own string quartets, and he wrote this piece so he could join them. His own two recordings of this piece are interestingly different. Here's the first of them, made in December 1940 with the quartet, with whom he gave the premiere a few days earlier. the strikingly slower speed for that central section marked poco più mosso, a little more movement, which is certainly slower than the marking in the score, which gives an exact speed in terms of beats per minute. At that date, the players must have been playing from handwritten scores and parts, where many of the metronome marks are slower, and it may have been the experience of playing the piece repeatedly that led Shostakovich to revise the metronome marks in the published score. Certainly his later recording is in general much brisker. That's certainly evident in the second movement, marked simply fugue, where the later version is noticeably quicker than the first, though still somewhat short of the tempo marked in the score. It's the speed of this later recording that is mostly emulated by the more recent recordings, though not, on the whole, its tremulous expressivity. Here's the beginning of the fugue in the fine recording from the Beaux-Arts trio, with violinist Eugene Drucker and violist Lawrence Dutton.
The performance is similar to Shostakovich's second recording, but is still some way off the indicated tempo. A number of later recordings, such as the one from the Tokash Quartet, take their cue from the earlier, slower recording. Others are closer to the later, brisker one, sometimes preserving the sweet intensity of sound, others opting for a more lyrical and flowing approach. One particularly interesting performance comes from the young New Russian Quartet and pianist Ludmila Belinskaya. That extraordinary vibrato-less sound is typical of the recording as a whole, which has an air of reverent care and delicacy, almost as if the players are handling a sacred relic. The results can be very touching, as they certainly are here. Very different is the recording from the Hollywood Quartet, a remarkable ensemble which was co-founded by the mother and father of the conductor Leonard Slatkin, and despite its name is distinct in the Central European style of string playing with luxurious slides and vibrato. Their recording of the fugue is the only one I've encountered which gets anywhere near Shostakovich's quite brisk tempo marking.
Hollywood Quartet with pianist Victor Aller. This fugue is remarkable for a strange crisis which seems to overcome the music at the midpoint, of which we just heard the beginning there. The cello insists on a new melodic idea with such force that you can't help suspecting the presence of some special coded message, though as far as I know no scholar has uncovered one. It's a moment rendered with particular intensity in the recording from the Juilliard Quartet and Yefim Bronfman. After that crisis, the fugue resumes its quiet unfolding and moves to a close of seraphic beauty, wonderfully caught in the recording from the quintet that included Martha Argerich. With three such outsized personalities within the quintet, I was expecting a performance that missed the element of reserve in this piece, but not at all.
After that Bachian prelude and fugue, Shostakovich clearly felt the need to lighten or even lower the tone. What we get now is a rumbustious and somewhat grotesque scherzo that some say has a satirical intent, though it's hard to guess what the target is. Here's the Beethoven Quartet and Shostakovich in their 1940 recording. Here they are in the recording from 1956. that later recording, everyone seems much freer. It's certainly exciting, gleeful and a bit messy. Ashkenazi and the Fitzwilliam Quartet are also exciting and far from messy. Like the rest of the performance, this one is superbly drilled and hard as diamonds, which is hugely impressive in its way, but misses the complex heart of the piece. More nuanced are the team around Martha Argerich, particularly violinist Renaud Capuçon, who is superb in this central section. To me, this has a definite Spanish tinge, which may have something to do with the small flood of left-wing Spanish refugees who came to the Soviet Union during and after the Spanish Civil War, and who were very visible in artistic circles.
Well, that's delightful, but for sheer excitement, nobody beats the Hollywood Quartet, whose recording is the only one to exceed Shostakovich's tempo marking by some margin. and the Hollywood Quartet. So, to take stock of the recordings, we've now heard nine, from which I feel I can now let the one by Ashkenazi go, and also the early one from 1940 by the composer, which is interesting to hear for his early thoughts, but not really a contender. To take stock of the piece, we've so far had a tragic opening utterance tempered by neoclassical severity, an exquisite fugue which to me owes as much to late Beethoven as to Bach, and a madcap scherzo. Now comes a return to neoclassical grace in a flowing intermezzo, with a long melody in the violin over a walking pizzicato bass. After a while, the piano enters with this. was Marc-André Amelin and the Tokach Quartet. Now, it's true Shostakovich does write Espressivo twice over that little piano passage, which is an invitation to linger over details. But Amelin pulls up at the end of every single bar, which to me seems too much. Yefim Bronfman is not that different, but stays just this side of too much.
This intermezzo leads directly into the finale, via a tricky moment of transition which some ensembles handle better than others. The composer's markings aren't much of a help in getting it right. He writes allegretto and a swift tempo marking, and immediately underneath the word writ, which could mean pull back or slow down gradually. Most performers, including the composer himself, do the opposite. They start off hesitantly and accelerate to the new tempo. Here he is in the 1956 recording. fine, but not especially poetic. There are three recordings which find a much more effective way of beginning the finale, by launching a new tempo, pulling back as the composer requests, as if unsure, and then finding the confidence to resume the new tempo. Bronfman and Argerich do it well, but better than either is the pianist with the new Russian quartet, Lyudmila Bielinskaya. Once underway, the finale soon finds a more assertive mood. One Russian musician who witnessed the early performances of this piece, the violinist Rostislav Dubinsky, remarks that this finale was especially popular with audiences, 
and that people on trams and in the streets try to sing its defiant second melody. Here is the Beaux-Arts trio's performance of that melody, which makes clear why those fans may have had some difficulty. the performance of that interestingly irregular melody is tremendously forthright and glittery in sound, but it's odd how the performers absolutely refuse to quicken the tempo even a tiny jot. Compare that with Shostakovich's own recording of 1956. really is thrilling, and a good example of the way Shostakovich used tempo changes to mark out structural divisions of the piece, just as conductors like Furtwängler did. None of the performances I've heard emulates this flexibility in the same way, but two recordings do bend the tempos in effective and interesting ways in this movement. The quintet centred round Marta Argerich pulls back the tempo in the development well beyond anything suggested in the score, which gives the return of the opening melody an extra kick of energy.
The other recording by Bronfman and the Juilliards also uses tempo to negotiate the transition back to the innocent opening melody, but they don't make the preceding section so heavily tragic in tone, which, in the context of this fundamentally carefree movement, may seem the wiser course. Bromfman and the Juilliard Quartet keeping things light in the last movement. Time to take stock. The 1956 recording by the composer has some thrilling moments and also some curiously dead ones, and in general suffers from poor balance. The one from the Beaux-Arts trio is beautifully controlled, but as we've seen, somewhat inflexible in the finale. The one from the Tokach Quartet and Marc-André Amelin has the opposite problem of over-finicky rubato, while the one from the new Russian quartet was in the end too seraphic and otherworldly. There is a rough streak in the music which needs bringing out. The Hollywood Quartet's recording has a terrible mono sound, but it's hugely exciting and enormously expressive in an old-fashioned way with extravagant slides. I absolutely love it, but I'm sure many would hate it. The safer recommendations are the ones from Yefim Bronfman and the Julia Quartet, and Martha Argerich and four fine string players recorded live at the Lugano Festival in 2006. They have different virtues. Bronfman and the Juilliards are more classical and may be better at bringing out the marble-white, statuesque aspect of the music. Argerish and her co-players are no less sensitive in the fugue and the intermezzo, but they bring to life the music's playfulness and grotesquerie even more vividly. They reveal the music's vast emotional range while preserving its aloofness and clean neoclassical clarity. I'll leave you with the closing bars of the final movement, at the point where the motoric rhythms and Renaud Capuçon's rough gypsy violin give way to mock-innocent honeyed sweetness in a way that only Shostakovich knew how.
the end of Shostakovich's G minor piano quintet in the live recording made at the Lugano Festival in 2006 by pianist Marta Argerich and friends Renaud Capuçon, Alyssa Margulis, Lyda Chen and Misha Maisky. And for reviewer Ivan Hewitt, that's the one that brings to life the music's playfulness as well as its grotesquerie, which is why it's his overall building a library recommendation. You'll find Argerich and friends playing Shostakovich in Lugano on Warner Classics. Full details of the recording, alongside Ivan's other favourites, are on the Record Review website. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library from BBC Sounds. Next time, Nicholas Baraguanath joins me to compare recordings of Gustav Mahler's Symphony No. 4, the one with the soprano solo representing a child's view of heaven. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review every Saturday morning from 9 on BBC Radio 3, on FM, online and on BBC Sounds, where you can discover more music, radio and podcasts like this one. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.